This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Imagine this. You're at home doing the laundry or you're in your car coming home from your job. And all of a sudden, a device attached to your leg startles you with a blaring siren. You then have to prove to the police that you're where you're supposed to be, or else you could get a visit from the sheriff's department. Now, this might sound like the absolute worst kind of anxiety dream, but for the 3,000 or so Cook County residents on electronic monitoring, it's a weekly, sometimes even daily reality. And some of the people wearing these ankle monitors say the devices are constantly sending false alarms. So joining us now are two freelance journalists who reported on this problem for the tribe, Natalie Frazier and Matt Chapman. Hi, Natalie. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. Matt, glad you could join us. Hey, thanks for having us. I'll start with you, Natalie. Tell us more about this. What is electronic monitoring and how is it supposed to work? So electronic monitoring is a program, a carceral program that is supposed to get folks out of the jail and into their homes. You get an ankle monitor and uh, the sheriff's office and the police are able to monitor where you are. And the idea is that it would alleviate the issues going on in prison, such as overcrowding. And a lot more folks were placed on electronic monitoring at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. So it's a program that's supposed to alleviate a lot of the issues that prisons are having with overcrowding, with too many folks being in the prison. Um, and the idea is that you get to keep folks in their communities, in their homes, and take some of that stress off the um, the, the the prison system. So if someone's under house arrest, what are the rules exactly? So the rules are that you have to stay in the space that you know, you have signed up to be in. So that is a a residence. Um, You have to stay within, you know, the wherever, like the confines are of that place. And then there's something called movement in which you can apply to leave that that home, that residence for whatever reason, whether it's work, school, um, you know, any other issue. And that is a long process, but you have to apply, get approved, and then you're able to take that movement when that time is allotted. Um, due to the, the Pretrial Fairness Act that was recently passed, um, folks who are on electronic monitoring now get, I believe, two days um, of movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, you can talk a little bit about like the Pretrial Fairness Act and how that is impacted, like movement specifically, if you want to. Yeah, what's the, what's the effect of that law, Matt? Yeah, so the effect of that law is basically... Um, you effectively get two days um, out of your week to to do movements, um, essential movements to, you know, do groceries, to do laundry if you need to, um, things like that. Um, One of the kind of the more striking parts about the Pretrial Fairness Act, um, at least how it's kind of manifested, is that um, if you, um, uh, there are certain people who, um, because they they work, they're not able to, to then get, um, those additional days of, of movement. So there are some people who who are like ironically getting less time uh, to to go out. Um, and it's kind of manifested in some very very strange ways. And um, and the the county sheriff kind of um, knows a lot about that. And they kind of act in different ways, to go, like towards that. Yeah. Natalie, some people on electronic monitoring they're still awaiting trial, right? Yes. 
So most people who are on electronic monitoring have not been accused of a crime. These are people who have been, who were incarcerated pre-trial. So these are innocent folks. They're presumed innocent um, until, you know, proven guilty. So most people who are on EM have not been, have not been convicted of a crime. Why are ankle monitors failing so often? Yeah, that's a, a very uh, broad question. I feel like there are a few different reasons. Matt, I don't know if you want to speak to a few. Matt, you there? Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can yeah, hear you Yeah, we can now, hear Matt. you now. We're, we're talking about the ankle monitors. Why are they failing so often? Yeah, so, I mean, the I think the, the big idea is that, um, you know, you they're, they're based off of GPS. So, like, if you've been downtown Chicago and you've, you know, tried to drive around, um, oftentimes it just gets confused. It thinks that you're in a different place. Same exact thing happens to people who are inside of their homes. So, like, if you look in the, like, the actual, like, manufacturer's uh, 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 documentation for these devices, they basically say this is not meant for indoor use. Um, and, unfortunately, they are using these devices to, to track people. And as I've kind of predicted, it's, it's, uh, it's failing constantly. Um, and, and people are being accused of being outside of their homes when they're not. Um, they're getting text messages all day, every day um, in some cases. Um, and it's, it's just a, a flawed technology. Um, yeah. They have what are called beacons that are supposed to be put into people's homes to help it out. Um, like it's supposed to communicate with them within their own homes. Um, and sometimes those even fail. So it's just a, a slew of technology failures. So what happens exactly when an ankle monitor sends this signal that someone's not where they're supposed to be? Right. Yeah. So what, what happens is there's kind of a chain of events that happens. Um, there's a, a call center. What happens is when the, the system detects that they're out of their home, the call center opens up an investigation and they then, you know, watch the person um, and they make, a, they make a decision whether they want to put a, you know, give a siren out on somebody so they let their device uh, blares, you know, extremely loudly, like you mentioned, um, or it gets to a point where they might call them um, or they might call their uh, significant other or um, the sheriff's office might uh, be dispatched based on the, the call center's um, kind of discretion. So, a whole bunch of things can happen, and um, you know these are people who um, don't know any of these people. Um, a lot of people don't live in Chicagoland, so there's mm-hmm. a very unattached system that's um, that's you know very very difficult to, to kind of scrutinize that sort of thing when so many people are. And and you discovered a, a confidential study by the University of Chicago about the failure rate of these alarms. What did the study find? Sure. So the the study basically found um, there's kind of like two things. There's there's alerts, which those are the actual alerts that the call center receives, and then they you know they act upon or they make a decision. Um, we, according to University of Chicago's uh, research, eighty um, percent of those are false alarms are are are, are false positives. So what they do is then they. Um, you know, they, they have other systems internally to, you know, determine whether it, it is a, a true sort of system. Um, I think that cuts down a significant portion of them, um, but it's still, it, it's still this system where, you know, 80%, there's bound to be mistakes within there all over the place and, you know, with, with like um, dispatching and such. And yeah. that 
This is Reset. I'm Sasha and Simons. We're talking about electronic monitoring in Cook County and the number of false alarms that ankle monitors send out. With us are freelance journalists Matt Chapman and Natalie Frazier. They covered this story for the tribe. Back to you, Natalie. One of the folks that you talked to, uh, Shannon Ross, says that he still felt traumatized by these constant accusations, even now that he's off electronic monitoring. Tell us more about Shannon's story. Yeah, Shannon is a, a really sad story, like so many of these stories. Um, and you get like this notification that's very loud, very off-putting. Um, and you get it when your kids are home, right? Ross was getting these notifications when his kids were home. And he's getting these calls. Um, and they're telling him that he's moving around. You know, tell the truth. You're outside. You're doing this. Officers are actually arriving to his home. Um, and, you know, kind of accosting him about these false positives. Uh, notifications. Um, he also has one of those situations where he had, um, you know, he had been approved for movement before the Pretrial Fairness Act, so he didn't get those additional days, which meant that he went without um, some time for those essential functions, like getting groceries. Um, Rob mm. told us that there were days that he went without eating, um, you know, even up to 24 Jeez. hours. Um, and, you know, he said it was very, very difficult without that time to do, you know, essential movement while also getting these these constant alerts. And he actually was found not guilty um, of the charge that put him on house arrest in September of 2021. Um, so he had quite a while, you know, before his trial in which he was kind of harassed um, and, and, you know, traumatized by this faulty electronic monitoring system. When the sheriff's office actually arrives to check on someone who has triggered an alarm, one of the things that they seemed to always do was handcuff them. Natalie, why would they do that when they're not violent? Yeah, so the we've reached out to CC, the, the sheriff's office quite a few times about this, and, and their you know answer is that they want to make sure that the officers and everyone who is, you know, around the person who's you know, set off the alarm, whether it's a false positive or not, uh, is safe. So they say that they put on those handcuffs until they can figure out the situation and make sure that it's safe. Uh, so, yeah, it seems like that's just a bit of their protocol um, to actually handcuff the person um, who's wearing the ankle, ankle monitor until they mm -hmm. have, a, I guess, a better hold on the situation. There was someone else that you talked to, uh, Charles. He was threatened with arrest because the signal at his house was too weak. What is that all about? What happened? Yeah, I mean, Matt smoked through this a little bit. This GPS technology does not work very well inside, right? And we find that, um, especially without a beacon, the system is kind of bouncing off the walls, right? You don't know where folks are. Um, and so Charles was a situation where you know, his ankle monitoring system, like there was no, you know, he was getting alerts, you know, twice in, in the time in like four days. Um, and he was never actually, according to him, offered a beacon to amplify uh, that, you know, um, signal. Um, and he actually did end up moving to try to fix that signal problem. But that is something that the sheriff sheriff's office is actually supposed to kind of check for when they put you in a space and, and give you the ankle monitoring is that your space can actually 
you know, um, handle the technology and that they can they can find you within the space. So Charles definitely uh, was put in a, a pretty poor situation um, and, mm. you know, received a bunch of notifications because they claimed they couldn't find him in his own space. And he did not have a beacon, which might have helped. Matt, you, you've, you've heard, Matt, from um, defense attorneys who've challenged faulty ankle monitors in court. How are yeah. the judges reacting? Um, that's, that's a good question. So the judges, I think, at the beginning of the, the pandemic, they, you know, they were, you know, hit with an onslaught of, like, you know, people are now on electronic monitoring and um, people are doing requests for movement, um, like, on a, you know, daily basis. So, like, the court system effectively turned into, like, a movement system. Um, and the judges did not like the system at all. Uh, the judges were very mm-hmm. frustrated. And kind of how that manifested is that um, when a judge heard something about the failure of, of electronic monitoring, they kind of treated it as, like, it, this is impossible. Like, the, the technology is good. We rely on the technology. Like, we make decisions off the technology. Like, how can it be a failure? So there were cases where, like, a judge would very explicitly say, I'm not going to hear complaints about technology failures. They would, you know, close off the situation. Um, there was a WTTW article um, that came out uh, that was kind of in, in the same situation, and um, they, the um, attorney ad- advocated for her clients about this issue within the news. And mm-hmm. kind of after that came out, judges seemed to be a little bit more uh, cognizant of the, the technology failures, um, but it's it, it's an ongoing thing. And the technology, you know, that existed a year ago is still in use right now. So it's 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 ultimately a judge's discretion. So what are the possible solutions here, Matt? Um, I, I think it, it's definitely hard to say. Um, I, I think in the immediate, I think uh, Cook County Sheriff needs to, you know, publicly. Uh, acknowledge that this technology isn't as good as as it, as it can be. There are improvements that can be made, um, and I think that there is definitely room for. Um, uh, I, I, I know that some advocates are, are saying that um, pretrial fairness acts could be um, improved in some ways, um, but I, I think that there's there's a lot that can be done. That just um, not yeah. much can be done until more reporting and more ad- advocacy is done. You kind of like highlight what's going on. Any thoughts on that, Natalie, on solutions? Yeah, I think first off, you know, like Matt said, acknowledging the technology is not where it should be, and also acknowledging the harm that this that this you know does to folks, right? Like this electronic monitoring system is just another cycle of incarceration, right? And like public defender Sharon Mitchell told us, we know that there are a lot of real-world consequences to incarcerating people pre-trial, right? We disrupt their lives, their education, their family obligations. I think we have to start treating folks who are incarcerated pre-trial like human beings, right? And I think the first thing we can do is acknowledge, hey, this system is not working the way it's supposed to. Um, So just exactly what Matt said. Yeah. Natalie Frazier and Matt Chapman are freelance journalists from Chicago. You can see their reporting on electronic monitoring at thetribe.com. That's T-R-I-I-B-E. Thank you both.
Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.